Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we head to the east, the eastern seaboard, I guess, the the east coast of America. Basically, for us, for me, on the other side of the country. Now, in, in acknowledging the history of the United States course, one of the things that happened, obviously, was the establishment of settlements of the Europeans on the East Coast. Now, granted, there were Native Americans prior who had established nations, Na- Native American nations. But for the development of the town we now know as Charleston, South Carolina, it all began in 1663 with a charter grant granted by King Charles II. I think we're now going to crown in May of 2023 King Charles III. Maybe. Maybe I'm off about the number. But either way, in 1663, King Charles II granted a charter to the Lords of Proprietors this settlement. And after getting everything organized and ready, the settlement, which is located on the west bank of the Ashley River, became a reality seven years later in 1670. And at that time, it was Christian with the name Charlestown, obviously in honor of the British king. Now, with this long and lengthy history, it to me makes plenty sense as to why Charleston is exceptionally haunted i'm not going to say it is the most haunted town in america but between everything that transpires because we're looking at in next year speaking of next year 2023 it literally will have the the establishment or you know would we're looking at almost 360 years of europeans living there and again Native Americans were there first, and there were wars fought over the land. So lots of bloodshed, and as all my listeners know, I am a firm believer that bad juju stays on the land. Now, getting back to the original settlement of Charlestown, in the New World, quote-unquote, there were other countries looking to expand their royal authorities as well, and their land. In that particular time, you know, we're looking at France looking to expand their royal realm. Spain, having already claimed Florida, looking to expand their realm. 
And, of course, the Native Americans are like, what the hell are you guys doing here? This is our land. And if that's not enough, okay, between the, the Spanish, the French, and the local Native Americans, then Charlestown also has this extra unwanted scenario with pirates. Yes, pirates. And so between all of these entities, it was a settlement that was repeatedly attacked from both the sea and from the land. And the thing about the pirates is the pirates would besiege the town. They would commit raids on the town. And as a result, as, as, a, as, a, as a means of hope of fending off all of these, you know, these invaders to them, they decided to build a fortification wall as a form of defense. To this day, two of the buildings that were initially built in the walled city still remains, and one of them is the Power Magazine building, which we'll actually delve into a little later. But to kind of show as a shining example of a pirate raid, because, I mean, to be honest with you, I knew that the Eastern Seaborn had a lot of pirates and surprisingly for my personal interest in treasure hunting and, you know, pirate gold and go-goonies, I actually don't know very much about piracy or pirates or, you know, what they did. I just, I, I guess I'm going to have to work on that or something. But either way, again, as an example, in May 1718... Edward Teach, also known as the dreaded Captain Blackbeard, besieged Charlestown for nearly a week. He plundered the merchant ships, and more specifically, he kidnapped the passengers and the crew of the ship, the Crawley. He basically took them hostage. And he did so as a means of ransom. And what he wanted in exchange for the hostages was Blackbeard demanded a chest of medicine from the governor, Robert Johnson. Now, when the governor conceded and gave up the chest of medicine, they, I mean, in pure pirate form here, they released the hostage nearly naked. How gracious of them. And sailed up north for Northern Carolina. Now, curious enough, when they later discovered the wreckage of Blackbeard's flagship, because he had a couple, and I'm, of course, referring to his, his favorite ship, the Queen Anne Revenge. Inside the pirate ship, they actually found a urethro syringe, which apparently was something that they used to treat syphilis. They found something called a, a pump clyster, which was used to help provide enemas. I'm not really sure why that was necessary. They also found a whore ringer, which was probably... Something for bloodletting. Remember, they thought that um, diseases were evil things that be, that could be taken out of the body by uh, leeches and stuff. And they also found brass, mortar, and pestle for preparing medicine. So, you know, it just, I, you know, I just find it fascinating the things that uh, were necessary and were used to treat diseases and, I guess, constipation <laughs> um, at that time. I just think it's it's interesting because I'm a big 
history fanatic. And when I think of pirates, I don't necessarily think of enemas. It's just kind of one of those things that don't, you know, you didn't think you'd say those two words together. So anywho, but living in South Carolina and over the course of the 360 years, without a doubt, was definitely trying times. We're talking between the wars, between the colonies in terms of against other nations, against the Native Americans, against the pirates, the hurricanes, the diseases that went rampant because there were a lot of uh, other pandemics besides COVID, and in, especially in the South, and, the, and just everything else going on and not having antibiotics or Tylenol to treat these things. Living in the early colonies was definitely something I just, I mean, just definitely something I don't know if I would be able to manage. But thanks to all these combinations of colliding factors, Charleston is considered one of the haunted places in America. So let's discuss a few of their haunted hotspots. And since we're actually on the topic of pirates, because, I mean, again, I, I think I just didn't realize how much... Or I didn't realize that they even went on land in the colonies. I just, I think I always just assumed it was the Caribbean, the Bahamas. <laughs> Shows you what little I know. <laughs> but since we are on the topic of, t of pirates, we'll start at the White Point Garden. Now this lush and southern charming park is a lovely five acre garden that has amazing views of the Ashley River and apparently amazing views of the Charleston Harbor. But in 1718, this was the very spot of a massive hanging. Apparently, the gentleman pirate, Steed Bonnet, and his entire crew of about 50 pirates had been captured and were brought to this very place to be executed. Now, Steed was actually, I don't know about besties, but he worked alongside course blackbeard and together they would plunder ships up and down the east coast until you know they parted ways and when steve got caught with his crew they brought them here and with these you know already gorgeous oak trees being perfect for uh, hangings they simply just put nooses around the pirate crew's necks and hung them from the oak trees. Now today, it is said that at night, people can hear the screams of these pirates at basically at their moment of death. And there are even reports of people seeing the apparitions of the actual pirates hanging from the trees. And there's even, even more greater detail reports that those who have seen these apparitions hanging from the tree can even see that the pirate's eyes are still alive with terror. And on top of being able to see them, it is also said that the, some of the pirates are actually seen roaming the grounds, hoping to get revenge, looking for those sons of bitches that hung them. Now, in addition to the pirates of colonial America, it is said 
that some can actually even feel the presence of the many soldiers who died during the Civil War. Charleston was one of those places that kind of shifted hands during the American Civil War. Okay, so moving from this park, let's talk about the Charleston Orphan House. Open for business in 1794, the Orphan House was surprisingly huge as it almost as big as a full city block and with this immense building, it stood four stories high. The Charleston Orphan House was actually intended for, I'm quoting now, for the purpose of supporting and educating poor orphan children and those of poor, distressed, disabled parents who are unable to support and maintain them. And believe it or not, this orphanage is considered to be America's first public orphanage. And between 1794 and 1918, where I believe World War I actually came to an end, it is believed that somewhere in the estimation of 5,000 children, most of whom were um, unfortunate orphans, no parents, had passed through the doors of the orphanage. However, in 1918, a large fire destroyed most of the building and sadly took a lot of the lives of the children. Today, the original building and subsequent buildings are gone. In 1951, all of it gets levied for a Sears department store. And the new structures that have been raised on the land does not necessarily mean that the spirits of the children who unfortunately perished in the fire have disappeared. In fact, people who have occupied the new building have reported seeing children running around. They often have seen lights of unknown sources. They hear running footsteps without, again, nobody supposedly there. They've heard giggling from the sounds of children. They've heard high-pitched shrieking. And in the Berry Residence Hall, which houses students, some of the students, as the students are lying in their bed, staring at the ceiling, have sworn they've heard this distinct sound of marbles falling and rolling about, in addition to the sound of little children singing Ring Around the Rosie repeatedly at night. So, again, going back to the idea of bad juju happened here. It The bad juju gets imprinted or the, the spirits get imprinted on the land where they unfortunately perished. And they're essence still exists there as if they're still there okay let's talk about the provost dungeon and the old exchange building this building is located at east bay and broad street and it was used as the customs house the public market and a meeting place in fact it is said that this is actually where south carolina ratified the united states constitution and where George Washington himself, our very first president, hosted banquets there in the Great Hall. Now, the old exchange portion is actually above ground. The provost dungeon, obviously, lies below ground where they would hold the inmates. And the inmates would typically pirates, namali, who had been caught and basically were awaiting trial and the inevitable execution because you were hung for the charge of piracy. If you were convicted, you were hung the end. There were no three months probation, you know, go, go see a counselor. None of that crap. It was bye. Bye. 
So, <laughs> bye, Felicia. And furthermore, as part of their punishment, as inmates in the dungeon, they were denied food, they were denied water, and they were often chained to the wall and basically left there to either die from hanging or, you know, wait until their trial and die from hanging, or they died from disease, some type of injury, because, you know, sometimes they fall down the steps by themselves, or parasites, or rodents. And if the dungeon, because it flooded a lot, you know, in Carolina, it rained a lot, if it flooded, the jailers would literally do absolutely nothing and let the inmates drown and die. And so with the little energy the inmates had and nothing else to do, they would obviously complain and moan and groan in protest of being starved and protest of thirst and protest of their dire fates. So essentially, it should not come to no surprise to anyone that visitors today have had paranormal experiences. So we're talking people report the sensation of chills, not dog sneezing, as you can hear in my background. People have reported the the sounds of terrifying screams. People have reported the, the sad gasping moans that I discussed earlier from the unfortunate inmates. And it's not just visitors who are reporting these paranormal activities. In fact, the staff as well. In addition to the noises down in the dungeon, staff have reported cold spots upstairs. They have seen doors shut by themselves. And they have described hearing footsteps above them in the upper floors when, again, the building is pretty much empty. And they believe that it's the, you know, the inmates below ground but it's probably those who had worked in the public market, in the customs house, in the early beginnings of this building. So lots of, I mean, that alone should tell you how long the history of this building in Charleston itself is. Now, as I mentioned before, to fend off the, the raids and the attacks from the Spanish and the French and the local Native Americans, the settlers initially built a fortified wall. And today, two of the original buildings that were part of this fortified wall still stands. One of them is known as the Powder Magazine. So because it was part of the original wall of the original settlers, <laughs> this building is considered to be one of the oldest buildings in the history of Charleston and in, in South Carolina. But either way, when it was part of the defense fortification, the British would house the arsenal there, the, the gunpowder. And when it was retired from use in 1780, it basically became a privately owned building, changing hands, you know, buying, selling this building. At one point in time, it was a print shop. It was a carriage house. It was a wine cellar. But today... The Powder Magazine is a museum about the colonial history of Charleston. So if you want to learn a lot about the history, especially its beginning settlement, this is definitely the place you want to be. Now, as I said before, with this history of fighting over this land, it is believed 
that the people that have died on or near this location might be roaming around this building. But one entity that kind of has a lot of people shaking their heads because they don't know why, but they firmly believe that Anne Bonnie is one of those entities who is hanging about this museum. Now, for those of you who don't know, she was one of the very few female pirates. In fact, the only other person that comes to mind when we think about female pirates, colonial America, we th- I, my immediate thought is uh, Mary Reed. But back to Annie and potentially haunting this museum. Long story short, Anne Bonnie was born Anne Cormick in Ireland sometime between 1690 and the 1700. They don't know for sure. It's so, uh, it's interesting because I when I did my research on this, like four out of the five said, you know, we're not really sure her birth. This is just an estimate. And then one place said, oh, no, she was born on this specific day, which I thought was kind of interesting. But either way, she was born in Ireland. She came to Charleston with her parents. Unfortunately, her mother died when she was 12. Being a fairly rebellious teenager, Anne hooked up with a pirate dude by the name of James Bonney. She ran away from her father's plantation and turned pirate with old Bonney. Then sometime between 1714 and 1718, James and Anne relocate to Nasru in the Bahamas. And James basically becomes a turncoat. A turncoat is a traitor. And he rats out his pirate buddies to Woods Roger, the governor of Bahamas. And he and Anne settle into basically what's going to be a quiet fisherman's life, in theory. However, in the spring of 1719, Anne meets a British pirate by the name of Calico Jack, a gentleman, gentleman, a pirate by the name of Jack Rackham. They become lovers, lovers in the nighttime. Then in August 1719, she's like, I'm out. This consider this a divorce, you son of a bitch. And she sails off with Rackham. Together, they, they capture a sloop by the name of the William in the port of New Providence. And they start their own, you know, Caribbean pirate life. Now, they do have, actually have a small crew. And she does dress up as a man. And as such, when they take on new people, she kind of, this one particular pirate, crew member kind of sticks out and Anne kind of hones in on this person and realizes that like her this is a woman dressed as a man trying to live her best pirate life that of course would be Mary Reed now the one thing I did actually know about pirates was that pirates kind of didn't want women on their ship they considered a woman on the ship a bad omen a bad sign like that shit's gonna happen that's a bad idea black cat and Part of the pirate articles, they said, hey, no women and definitely no young boys because they didn't want predatory behavior of the pirates and they didn't want any fighting over the women for, you know, sexual favors of the women. They didn't want any of that. They had other problems going on. They, you know, they had to focus on that pirate treasure, different kind of booty. But, but according to the historian Jay Rogozowski, which I'm probably mispronouncing, in the case of Bonnie and Reed, Mary Reed, the pirates of Calico Jack's crew tolerated these ladies because they made themselves, and I'm using air quotes, they made themselves available to everyone. 
and Rackham's small crew. So they were vicious pirates during the day, and they were, you know, what is the term? Um, a lady in the streets, but a freak in the sheets. I mean, it kind of sounds like that was their scenario. Anywho, in November of 1720, while anchored off Jamaica, Rackham and his crew get wasted, and it's Bonnie who sees that the governor of Jamaica sends a surprise attack ship by the name of the Tiger and attacks their ship, and basically they all get captured, and Bonnie's like pissed because they're like, you fuckers couldn't not drink, drink, really? Now we're arrested. And they get taken to the Spanish town called, well, at that time, was called San Jogo de la Vega uh, in, in the island of Jamaica for trial. And on November 28th, she gets tried for piracy, which she pleads, of course, not guilty to. However, she has no defense, and the pirate gold pile of evidence against her gets her convicted. However, because she was pregnant at the time, they wouldn't hang her. It was against the law to hang a pregnant woman because they saw that the child was innocent and hence didn't deserve to meet the fate of the mother. And the other thing is, she's not the only one pregnant. Doing everybody on the crew got them both knocked up, so both of their lives get spared during their pregnancy. However, what happens next to her is actually considered to be a, an interesting and historic mystery. Mary will die in jail of a fever or fever or complications of childbirth, probably both, in April of 1721. But the paper trail of Anne just disappears. It's gone. There is no mention of Anne Bonnie dying in jail at all. Now, per my research, there was something in December of 1733, so we're talking 12 years later, in a Jamaican parish records, it's notes it states the death of one and bonnie but they don't know if it's the same chicka chicka boom boom the same infamous pirate or not because i again and there's so many theories i could not believe how many theories i came across in my research of Anne. but either way for some magical reason believe that Anne bonnie is at the 17th century building that was once there to house the ammunition of the fortification of Charlestown. And it is believed that she's just hanging around, checking shit out, and be like, mm, if I was a pirate, this is how I'd run shit. Either way. So that's the story of Anne Bonnie. And, uh, you know, and, and if I had to guess, it's entirely possible that they have something of hers that she was clearly partial to. I think that is something that is authentic and true. I mean, if items can be cursed, why can't they be haunted as well? Okay. Now let's talk about the old Charleston City Jail. Open for business in 1802. The jail operated until 1939. Now one of this jail's claim to fame is being the home to the very first female serial killer in America. I am, of course, referring to a Miss Lavina Fisher. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's very close to my name, but it, she's got an extra I in there. Anyways, apparently her and her husband, John, 
like to burke and hair people. You guys remember that episode? But yes, either way, in their inn called the Six Mile Wafer House, they would check people in. And Mrs. Fisher, La Fafina, would put drug in their evening tea, put a drug there. And once they kind of fell asleep, John would go into the room and murder them in their unconscious and unable to defend themselves state. Or it was actually even said that they had rigged some sort of collapsible bed into this pit of deadly spikes. So it's like the bed would fall into the ground and the unfortunate drugged person would fall and land on the spikes and essentially be murdered. Now, they do get caught because one of their check-ins decides, I'm not a, I'm a coffee guy. I'm not a tea person. And instead of drinking the tea, they actually pour it out when she's not looking. You know, they didn't want to hurt her feelings. They didn't know she was a murderess. And when John came to kill the guy, the guy managed to run from the house and alert the police. And as a result, they get arrested and both get hanged at the old Charleston jail. And here's the clincher. This part kind of killed me. When it came for John to be hung, John, you know, cried like a bitch. It kind of sounded like, you know, I'm sorry, please forgive me. God forgive me. He wasn't crying like that, though, when he was killing people. But Lafina, her last words were alleged to be, if anyone has a message for hell, give it to me and I'll carry it. So, I mean, she took it. She was like, I did this rotten shit. This is where I'm going. Bye. Oh, and if you got a message, I'll pass it on. <laughs> and in addition to these fine citizens, obviously this jail was used to house slaves and pirates and soldiers from both sides of the Civil War because, again, Charleston was a hot spot. And it would switch occupation. Sometimes the, the, the Confederates had it. Sometimes the Union had it. And they obviously used the prison to hold their prisoners of war at that time. So let's talk about what's happening at this historic jail. People have reported seeing and hearing heavy doors slamming by themselves. People have reported that objects get either moved or disappear completely on their own. People have heard voices in otherwise, you guessed it, unoccupied rooms. People have reported seeing shadowy, human-like figures traveling down the corridors. We're talking even orb sightings. We're talking noises such as chains being dragged across the floor. And again, this is an empty jail. But the major claim here is that people have sworn that they have encountered the ghost of Lafina Fisher. And, I mean, this place is so hot with paranormal activity that a variety of ghost investigators, well-known ghost investigators, have gone in and investigated this hot spot. So, again, definitely, and I want to say this sounds familiar to me, but I'm not going to swear to it. Okay, moving on, let's talk about Fort Sumner. Now, in case you're not familiar with the history of the United States, there was a civil war between the states. 
in April of 1861. And it all gets started with the firing on the Union-held Fort Sumner on April 12, 1861. The Confederates fired onto the, the fort, and as a result, the Union Army Major Robert Anderson on April 13th surrenders the fort to the Confederates. And as part of the protocol or what he decrees is that he decides to have a final 100-gun salute to the Union flag before handing the fort over. And on the 47th shot, a gun gets misfired and accidentally kills a Union soldier by the name of Daniel Ho. And since this time, and he's the only Union soldier, and it is an accident by the Union soldier. So what do they call that? victim of friendly fire since then people have sworn that they have seen this unfortunate union soldier his ghostly apparition wandering around in addition to seeing him they have reported the smell of smoke and gunpowder and you know by now the fort is empty they don't carry these things and we wouldn't have these types of ammunition around anyways we obviously use far more technologically advanced weaponry. Now, the Civil War will go on for another four years. It will officially end on May 26, 1865, at the Potomac House in Virginia. And this actually will create a lot of haunted American battlegrounds up and down the East Coast. Gettysburg, Running Bull, even Washington. So... uh, this is the beginning of one of the most established wars and hence creating and fueling a lot of the haunted places on the East Coast. But getting back to Charleston, let's talk about after visiting all these places and hopefully having some type of paranormal and hopefully having some type of paranormal experience, you may want to go want to go somewhere to eat. Well, believe it or not, the Bocci Italian restaurant, Bocci, Bocci, I'm not Italian, so I'm probably mispronouncing this, is actually one of Charleston's most haunted spots. And it is believed that the entity that is a, is a very active entity and engages with people today, it's not a residual entity, the entity that is haunting this particular restaurant absolutely hates locked doors like the the entity will bang on the door until it's open or unlocked it will unlock the lock if it's possible and push open the door it's like who the fuck locked this no you didn't i'm gonna help you resolve this and apparently it's like pretty prevalent so if you're interested in checking out a restaurant that has i I wonder though in my research I don't know if that included bathroom locks, so ladies, be careful. But either way, after you eat a lovely Italian meal and you are wondering or hoping to find a place that is equally haunted in terms of staying somewhere, I recommend the Battery Carriage House. I mean, the pictures I've seen are pretty beautiful and it does seem to be getting some pretty good reviews. This carriage house, the Battery Carriage House, is located at 20 South Battery. 
It was initially built in 1843, so prior, almost 20 years prior, 19 years prior to the American Civil War. So obviously probably built for some rich Southern family. But in the course of its years, it's transferred hands, ownership, before becoming the inn that we know it as, as it is today. But as such, people, guests of the inn, have reported seeing spirits walking around the grounds. They have reported having the experience of unexplainable sounds, you know, no known source. And there's even reports of guests basically waking up and finding that they are not alone. They got a ghostly bedmate that they did not realize was there prior. Now, if you want to know very specifically, according to my research, there are two rooms at this particular inn that you really want to look for. Room eight is apparently haunted by a headless torso. And he's missing his head and his legs. And when it appears, it moans in a ghostly, un I mean, you just, a horrible fashion. You're just like, holy shit, what is that? And over the course of people looking into this headless torso guy, they've come to believe that this is a apparition of a, of a Civil War soldier or you know, the torso that's that remains. And he's just like, you know, what the fuck happened to me? And you're like, what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> and the other room that you may want to consider is room 10. Whereas the headless torso might make you shit your pants, this guy, the gentleman caller, that's the name that they give the ghost, he is more like, mm, pretty ladies. Women who have had the opportunity to spend the night in this room have said that they have found him to be stroking her their hair while they're asleep. And even though it's like, who the fuck is touching my hair? It's not like a scary experience. It's kind of more like a soothing moment. Like, oh, oh, but a ghost is still touching you. So take it for what it's worth. Now, this, this inn does have 11 bedrooms in total and from what i could tell it's beautiful and i mean we're talking antique beds we're talking sitting rooms and fireplaces we're talking i mean just your your basic southern charm of a of a building but that's it that's what i have for you tonight but bear in mind i literally had my pick of the ghost haunting charleston which is not by the way the capital of South Carolina, surprisingly, it's not. But either way, that is what I have for you tonight for Charleston, South Carolina. And normally I give my speech regarding Facebook and our email and our closing commentary. But tonight, I simply would like to dedicate this episode to a beloved friend who has died. Miss Elizabeth, wherever you are, thank you for being my friend. <laughs>